Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. What's up? Welcome into the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. It is Thursday, April 7th. Michael Beller, Al Melchior here with you. And it is not just any day. It is not just Thursday, April 7th. It is 2022 opening day that we are celebrating here on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. As we start this recording, 15 minutes away from first pitch of the 2022 season between the Cubs and the Brewers at Wrigley Field. So let's get pumped. Six great months, seven if you want to include the playoffs of baseball ahead of us. Al, one of the best days of the year. How you doing? It is. You wait all year for this. Well, you wait half the year for this. <laughs> yeah, right. It's still it's yeah. still a lot of anticipation. So a lot Pretty of cool. anticipation. Even more so this year than in recent years with uh, just the, the strangeness of the last two seasons that we've had in Major League Baseball and the lockout on top of all that. This 2022 season feeling like getting back to a normal baseball season for the first time since 2019. So very excited for that. Very excited for the season and very excited for this opening day episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. As we told you last week, Thursday is going to be guest day on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Joining us as our first guest of this 2022 season is Mike Curland. If you are an athletic subscriber you've been reading all of his great work on the athletic mike what's going on man thanks for joining us i'm very happy to be here first time so obviously it's a get get the nerves out of the way but obviously love talking baseball happy opening day you i can't stress it enough it just feels like it took forever to get here but we're here yeah, it took, uh, I mean, even on top of everything that we were waiting for, it took, what, like 10 days longer than we were expecting? So, uh, yeah. so hey, we had to wait for it. But, uh, you know, let me actually, before we get going, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of like this. I kind of like, like, at, like into, into April. This is when baseball always used to start, right? We got into April. I'm a big college basketball guy, so we got past the NCAA tournament, and now baseball gets to take center stage. I kind of I like this uh, this first week of April start rather than last week of March. I do too, and I am a fan of the condensed spring training. I'm not mm-hmm. sure that it's necessarily the best thing for the players, for the game, <laughs> but as a fan, yeah, that short runway is pretty nice. Yeah. I, I can't argue, and what's sad is like I should argue because that's like most of my content, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't argue. I enjoy seeing everything just hurry up. And but the the crazy part was obviously what threw everything off is we had like two trades, like big trades this week. By the yeah. way, like like what's going on? An opening day trade. When's the last time that has that ever happened? Honestly, I can't think of a time I've ever heard that happen. So it's exciting. I feel like we need a signing period, but obviously this year was yeah. a little different. All things considered, though, me rambling away around to say, yes, I actually do agree. I am okay with the early, the first week of April type of start. Um, I just I was surprised. I thought we were going to end up being stuck waiting until May and so, but it was just, honestly, get that out of my head. We have baseball, <laughs> and it's happening today. It's all I care about. And By the way, to, to answer Mike's question, the last time I remember an opening day trade, and I, I maybe I'm off by a day or two on this, but it was the Padres again getting a closer. Uh, Craig Kimbrell. Uh, Kimbrell, yeah, the Kimbrell yeah. trade. 
Now I know yeah. Rogers isn't necessarily the closer, but a little, <laughs> little deja vu. There you go. The uh, the the Padres bringing us back. Uh, gotta love that. Let's get into it, you guys. Uh, Mike, you referenced your you referenced your content, and you are a you are the lineup guru. You are the lineup guru, and not only at the Athletic, but across the fantasy baseball universe. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of TAFBP. Obviously, there's so many things we could get into. Baseball is a long season for a reason, and we're going to be getting into that all season long. But opening weekend. You know, some teams are going to start putting down markers as to what their lineups are going to look like. And some of those are going to matter. Some of those aren't necessarily going to matter quite as much. Some of those are going to be matchup driven. Whatever the case may be, we're going to start getting those first bits of data as to how teams are really going to construct their one through nine this season. So we thought it would be useful to talk about the teams that we are watching for their lineup deployments over this opening weekend. And let's just start with the first game of the day. It's Cubs and Brewers. The Cubs are a team that we know is are going to be flexible in their lineup. And so we're going to take a look at them first. Uh, just as a reference, some of the guys who could be in and out of the lineup who are playing today, Rafael Ortega starting at leading off as the Cubs DH. Seiya Suzuki we know is going to be in the lineup every day. He's hitting sixth today. Jason Hayward, unfortunately for a Cubs fan like me, in the lineup uh, in the seventh spot. Mike, what are you looking for with this team? Well, you mentioned part of it is just that it's kind of a crowded situation. And I'm not sure Ortega is going to run with this leadoff spot. Although I did like him as a streaming option this weekend because they're facing four righties. So Ortega, if he's going to lead off and get short run, at least he'll get four. Now, it's not the best matchups for him, but he should see four starts top of this lineup. Madrigal batting second is actually noticeable or notable because I wasn't sure if he was going to bat second with Ortega or be stuck at the bottom. Mm -hmm. So that should add some potential for stolen bases for all of us stolen bases needy teams out there. Um, the, otherwise, Clint Frazier, um, VR, kind of, I feel like, and VR is one that's intriguing because his glove is not good. So maybe with a guy like Hendricks on the mound, with Stroman on the mound, maybe VR misses time and isn't an everyday player because they've maybe they value de defense better. And I know, although Wisdom isn't a good hitter in terms of like it's power or bust with him. Mm -hmm. That glove is better at third base. So this team's one of those teams where I'm watching to see how they deploy their players based on maybe what pitchers on the mound. Um, obviously handedness. Will Frazier be more of a weak side platoon? Maybe Neander and get in there against some righties. There's a lot. There's a lot of that. <laughs> there's a lot of like and VR. What do we think? Is it like do you plug and play him knowing he'll get some um, stolen bases via the pinch runner situation? He'll play maybe a majority of the time, but. A lot to keep an eye out going forward here. Yeah, VR is the player that I'm really interested mm -hmm. in watching over the, the first few games with the Cubs. Uh, just figuring when, when the Cubs uh, got him that uh, he'd find the playing time one way or another, which is kind of what, what's happened in a lot of the situations he's wound up in. Uh, can play several different positions, maybe not very well, but, but plays <laughs> them. And like you said, uh, pinch runner, DH possibility there. Doesn't seem like this Cubs lineup or roster is sufficiently deep to keep them from uh, being the lineup. But I hadn't considered Mike, the angle that you raised with uh, that rotation, uh, having three ground ball pitchers up at the top of it. So that makes me feel a little discouraged going into opening day here with VR sitting in, uh, in one of my lineups, at least this week. It popped into my head today. And I, I've been, again, been watching this all spring. Didn't think about it until today. And I was like, huh, Hendricks ground ball. My, one of my concerns about VR was his bad defense, but it didn't even trigger or the idea didn't even pop into my head thinking, wow, they actually do have a lot of ground ball dependent pitching. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm really, I, that's just like, it's a gut, it's a instinctive like, hey, let's just watch and see if that's actually going to be a thing or not. 
still think he finds his way into the lineup plenty with, you know, Wilson Contreras plays as much as a catcher can, Ian Happ, Seiya Suzuki. To me, those are really the only everyday dudes mm-hmm. in this lineup. So it's going to be interesting to see how they mix and match all these different playable pieces who don't demand <laughs> everyday playing time yeah. that they have, right? It's going to be it's going to be something that we're going to be watching very closely with this team. I want to throw over to uh, one of the teams Al brought up to us, and that is the Detroit Tigers. Al, what are you most uh, interested to see with this team and how they first start building their lineups? Well, I'll pick up where we left off on a recent episode, uh, Michael, which is uh, our, both of us wanting Spencer Torkelson to be uh, higher up in the lineup than we've seen him hit uh, a lot in these spring training games. So uh, that's a question for me. And also, now I didn't draft Miguel Cabrera anywhere, but he did hit in the thick of this order last year, was able to produce runs out of that position. He's been batting in the middle of the lineup in spring training frequently. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe there's a, a play to be made on on waivers to pick Cabrera up just for the just for the run production possibilities. Yeah, um, I'm just, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to believe it. Like, obviously, the feel good story would be Miggy having another year. But I feel like we always want that and it just doesn't mm-hmm. seem to happen. I'm just wondering now when you throw Meadows into the situation, obviously, yeah. he should slot into the middle of that order. Give him a lefty bat with some pop there. Miggy, does he stick at five? Does he move to six? Um, with Candelario, the switch hitter there, uh, do I think Badu feels a little safer with as long, for now? But Victor Reyes is still a thing, and he is better against lefties. Can will he platoon with Badu Meadows? That's kind of I'm just watching to see how they handle those guys. I think Badu might get a little bit of early run against lefties to see how he handles them, and if he starts struggling, insert Victor Reyes here. But yeah, it's kind of the same thing. Torque's gonna have to hit his way up the lineup, yeah. and then obviously. Far down the road, because I, I I would assume with the Meadows trade, Green's injury might linger longer than we anticipate. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, that's when we'll have to figure out how Green factors in. But ultimately, does Miggy end up losing DH reps to Meadows when Riley Green returns? That's, again, something mm-hmm. down the line, but worth thinking about. Yeah, definitely worth having in the back of your mind. And yeah, I, totally, I think you, you nailed it on the head there, Mike. Torkelson's going to have to hit his way up the lineup. Nothing's going to be just assumed for him. If it was going to be assumed... It would have been assumed by now he would be in their opening day lineup as like, you know, a, a guy in the top third of the order. And that's just not going to happen. So he's going to have to hit. He's going to have every opportunity to hit his way up the lineup. So that certainly uh, is is something that's that's pretty fun for us. Uh, Michael, let's take a look at a team that is uh, not going to get their start until tomorrow in this 2022 season. That's the uh, the Miami Marlins. Let's take a look at this team and just considering what we're going to be looking at when we see their lineup today and when we take a look at their first weekend or week's worth of lineup. So the big one here is obviously I think I think it's obvious is Jazz Chisholm. Like I even thought he's gonna be leading off against righties, maybe fall towards the bottom against lefties. And then Solaire signed and Solaire started leading off for day one. I'm like, okay, cool, this is him getting reps. Except for we saw Solaire continue to lead off all but one start this spring. And then Chisholm, after Solaire started getting in lineups, never hit above fifth. And fifth was in lineups where they didn't even have a full lineup in. When they had full lineups in, it was like seventh or lower. And this included righties and lefties. It didn't matter. So I'm thinking that's where he starts. Now, the tools are still going to be electric. He's, uh, Chisholm's still going to hit for power, hit a little bit of power, have some speed. It's just the counting stats around that. And another guy that we're going to see him hit his way up or an injury open up, which Garrett Cooper seems to be slotted into the two, which is very intriguing because he's a guy that no one's really talking about. He is a bit of an afterthought, Garrett Cooper is, but... Cooper still has that power and can be a four-category contributor 
all things considered, and you're getting him in the two spot. And he's, he's not really rostered. At least he was. He was more of a late round guy mm-hmm. or a fab pickup this first round of fab. But um, the lineup seems pretty set, all things considered. It's just that I'm really watching how Jazz handles year two and. Maybe does he does he face this with with adversity or does he get discouraged? In spring, he already had like eleven strikeouts and just thirty two or thirty four plate appearances. So we see the swing and miss is still there. But is it the same type of swing and miss? Is it swing and miss because of passivity, or is it swing and miss because he just has holes in his swing? Because last year he had some swinging strike rate issues, but it wasn't terrible. Like there was there was some. I don't know. So I'm just watching. It's a lot of Jazz Chisholm watch here. It's a lot at stake for him. I mean, let, let's yes. be honest about it. Because if he, I mean. One versus five, one versus bottom third, that is a huge difference for anyone. But when you just consider how Jazz is going to be contributing to fantasy teams, it's a, it's a bigger gap for him than, like, for example, we were just talking about wanting to see Spencer Torkelson higher in the order. There's more at stake for Jazz, one versus five, than there would be for Torkelson, you know, two versus six, two versus seven, something like that. Agree. And I'm just interested, too. I know this is slightly off topic because we're talking about uh, batting order and, and lineup construction, but I'm also just interested to see how he comes out of the gate because, of course, last year he was unstoppable for you know, the first month or so and then tailed off really badly. But the one thing that I do find encouraging is that in the second half, when the numbers overall weren't very good, he was hitting for a ton of power. He was averaging around 96 miles an hour on flies and liners. And so if he just makes a little bit more contact, that that could be huge. And, and it would be hard to keep him out of the top half of the lineup if he if he makes that change. Here's a lineup that both you guys wanted to talk about. I like, to, I like I keep you keep you keep the, the people separate, see what they do on their own, and then bring it together and see what they both name. How about these New York Yankees, L? Um, this is going to be a lineup that uh, again has a lot, sort of like the Cubs, and that there's a lot of mixing and matching parts. Different from the Cubs in that their mixing and matching parts are a whole lot better than what the Cubs are going to be putting out there. So what are we looking for for this first set of Yankees lineups? Yeah, yeah, mostly it's exactly the thing that you're mentioning, the, you know, the players specifically that uh, don't seem to have settled roles. Uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, DJ LeMayhew, maybe Glaber Torres. Just see how that whole infield situation shakes out because everything else looks pretty pretty stable. And I think LeMayhew is really the wild card here because if he does play regularly and with that regular play uh, rebounds from last season, then he, you know, he, I I doubt he's out there in very many leagues, but certainly those who drafted him are going to feel really good about that. Maybe in some shallower leagues, LeMayhew would be available. So uh, I'm very interested in seeing how that plays out. Absolutely. Uh, I'll hit the nail on the head on this one. Uh, It's a matter of, we have, I don't even know if we have four, five players for four spots because the shortstop, they've been pretty vocal there. Boone mentioned uh, Torres is the backup shortstop. Like he said that. There's a quote. I have it somewhere. I put it in one of the articles too. So it's it's there. It's known that – and Torres is terrible in the field. IKF actually had a decent spring, if I recall too. I'm looking up his numbers right now. Yeah, he hit 394 this spring. Now it's just spring training. But in 35 plate appearances – uh, Falefa, uh, IKF, it's simple that way. <laughs> IKF did put out a decent line, and this is a team that can afford to take the lesser bat for the better glove. Right. And shortstop is an area of need, or has been in the past, especially with Torres there. So I think it's more DJ LeMahieu versus Rizzo versus Torres versus, versus Donaldson, which can figure itself out via injury with this lineup. I get that. Yeah. And the DH, I think they're going to eventually just rotate everybody to keep them all healthy. But that includes keeping DJ healthy. Because DJ's coming off a year where, uh, and yes, we're on a first name basis. He's coming <laughs> off a year where uh, he's coming off a year where he dealt with injury himself and underperformance, which probably played hand in hand. So 
I'm thinking we get a few less games out of LeMayhew, and that, in general, takes away a little bit of his uh, potential for fantasy because we're talking about one of the ultimate compilers in fantasy in terms of games played and stats produced. With him, it goes hand-in-hand. Hand. So if you're taking away even one game a week, or and sometimes two if it's a fully – I know it's a fully healthy lineup. is very rare for the Yankees, but – Maybe early on it is fully healthy, and um, now you're looking at a guy that, when do you start him, especially in weekly formats? Do you start him? He could possibly miss one out of four here, one out of three over the weekend. Do you prefer a guy that might play the extra game? It becomes a headache outside of daily formats now. Yeah, and I mean, I think we could be saying that about a lot of guys on this team. Now, they're all yes. still really good on a per-game basis, and so you're going to want them, but like, do you, like Donaldson, Rizzo, um, <laughs> Hicks, LeMayhew, uh, even tour like, do you feel great about any of these guys being in the lineup every day other than, like, Judge and Stanton? I'm not sure you do. And even Stanton, because, yeah. like, they want to play him in the field more. Are they going to rest him instead of just DH him? Yeah. Um, it's it's a good problem to have for the Yankees in real oh, life. Oh, for sure. It's a and that's another thing. That's another thing, too, right? Like, this team, this team, whether they win 104 or 100 or 94, like, whatever, they just want to get to the postseason and get this mm-hmm. team healthy into the postseason. And so, like, there's going to be there's going to be some, like, NBA-style rest days, I feel like, for this team. Yeah, and that's what I'm getting at. I think LeMahieu's going to fall into that. Not only will he benefit from it, and it'll keep him in the lineup plenty, regardless of who's the odd man out. I think everyone's going to play like five games a week. That's the problem. I think everyone's going to play five games a week. Right. That's where it's like, yeah, cool, everyone's going to play, but everyone's going to play. So, like, for someone who's flashier with tools, five games a week for Stanton, Torres, Donaldson, that's fine. Five games a week for DJ, again, first name basis, <laughs> uh, that's not. So that's where I get kind of like, again, it's more of a gut feeling. And then, of course, the very last spring training lineup, they gave us Torres at shortstop, LeMahieu at second, and a full starting lineup. I'm like, um, maybe, but IKF did start the game before, the two games before, so maybe it was just more of a rest day for him leading into the season. However, it's just one of those things where that last lineup, maybe it's IKF. I just don't see them leaving the good glove out for another good bat. that They just don't need another bat in that lineup. All right, Mike, let's get back to one of the teams that we are going to see today on Thursday. That is the St. Louis Cardinals. That is a lineup we are going to see in just a few hours from when we're recording. We have that opening day lineup in hand for this St. Louis team. What jumps out to you about today, and what about that maybe gives us a window into what we're going to see from this team in the future? The big thing that I think everyone's noticing and kind of like, even though they were showing it to us, they didn't quite believe it, but we saw three lineups total with Carlson and Edmund in that Carlson actually flip-flopped with Edmund batting at the top of the lineup. So Carlson, the leadoff man, is something we are seeing now on opening day. And Edmund, it's beyond just he lost the job. He's also I, – I, I, it's going to kill me who uh, who tweeted out the article, who wrote about it. It's one of their main guys over there, beat writer-wise. Um, Gould, I think it was. Yep, he sure. he put out an article that told that basically they're aware that Edmund's struggling, but it's not just struggles like, oh, he needs to clear his head. It's mechanical struggles, struggles from the left side of the plate, which kind of hinted at, oh, not only are they moving him down, but now he has stuff to figure it out. They're going to let him figure it out at the big league level, it looks like. However, it's just they're going to let him figure it out at the bottom of the lineup, and if he figures it out, maybe he hits his way up. But even then, the double leadoff thing, now that there's no uh, pitcher in the NL, um, that's probably going to keep Edmund down there and it may be at best move him up to second, but that's assuming that other people, that's assuming a lot of things happen in his favor. So I think that's the big takeaway. Pujols batting fifth, I wouldn't get used to. I think this is more of a, Hey, it's opening day. Welcome back to St. Louis. It's a righty on the mound, but mm-hmm. we're going to platoon you normally. That's my gut. I don't see their, I don't think they went out of their way to get Dickerson to not put, make this like a lefty righty platoon at DH. I could be wrong, but Pujols, I don't think batting fifth is going to stick, but that's kind of the two big things here. The rest is kind of as expected. Yeah, that was my question. Was uh, 
what where Pujols is going to hit and how often <laughs> he's going to play. That just didn't look right, but we shall see. I think Mike, you're probably right about that. Yeah, would be stunned. It's like, this is a, a homecoming, <laughs> a homecoming opening day start for Albert Pujols for sure. Uh, let's go over to the AL West here, Al. You've got a couple of teams on this uh, A's and Astros teams you want to take a look at with what they're going to be doing uh, this opening weekend. Why don't we start? With the A's here, what are we looking at with this team that we know uh, a whole lot different than what they looked like over these last few years with all the trades and waving a white flag on, I don't know, the next three seasons, whatever the case might be for these Oakland A's. What are you interested to see from this team? Well, uh, just a more general comment, which is I'm really interested in, in a lot of these teams that that are not going to contend, uh, like the A's, like the the Pirates, because it looks like it could really just kind of be just uh, you know, a lot of wild cards, a lot of moving parts, and see who who steps up. But a couple of players that I, I'd be interested in seeing getting more of a chance: uh, Sheldon Noisy and Chad Pinder. And I understand that you know Pinder has played this uh, this role where he's on the the small side of the platoon, and he seems to be pretty much fixed in that role. But looking at his splits, I mean, I I just don't think it would be terrible for him to play more against righties. I mean, it's more of a BABIP issue for him than the quality of contact and not a question of an utter lack of power or an utter lack of contact skills against right-handed pitching. He's, he's got some of the, the best power on this roster. So I'm really interested to see if there's any sort of daylight for him to get regular playing time. I'd like to see Noisy get a, a legitimate shot to play with some regularity in the major leagues. He hasn't had that yet. And it seems like this is a, a roster where that could happen. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just looking. I don't see how like, I looked at roster resource. And I don't understand why vote is expected to be the strong side platoon with Pinder, I would guess is like the I was looking at the platoon, trying to look at the platoon and. I think, and Seth Brown would be the other one, so I guess maybe Seth Brown, but I don't know if... I think Pender's going to be given more of a chance to start. At least that's my two cents. Um, I could obviously be wrong there. I don't know. I don't see why they would hold back, see what they have in Pender versus trotting out uh, Vote every day. Uh, Kevin Smith is the big one here. I just want to see how he performs. I think he's like underappreciated. He's still, although he was getting some draft hype towards the end, he's still pretty under, like no one's really talking about him. The name itself is boring, Kevin Smith, but <laughs> it's, uh, there's a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, uh, decent uh, hit tool and skill and overall play discipline tools in the minors, in the high minors at that. So assuming he plays often and third base being what it is, Smith could be an interesting, um, I, I have him in some deeper formats as a starter this week because I'm desperate, but, uh, but, uh, He's a guy that I really have my eye on. I'll mention the Pirates there, too, and that was someone that you had emailed me about, Mike. So what are we looking for in Pittsburgh? Well, apparently Diego Castillo's not starting today. I don't know how that happened. I mean, you, you hit six spring home runs, and you're playing for a team like the Pirates, and you can't start? That just seems like an error. Um, other than that, apparently Vogelbach is a leadoff hitter. I, uh, 2022, I never thought I'd say that. How about that? Um, yeah, the, okay. the, the Cubs system churning out mashing leadoff hitters. Vogelbach, Schwarber, Jorge Soler. They're not any, none of them for the Cubs, but look at all these ex-Cubs. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly how you planned it, right? Yeah. Uh, Vogelbach, though, the leadoff man against righties, I guess I see it. I don't know if I doubt he'll sit there or even close to the top against lefties, but this is a lineup filled with opportunity. You have Hoy Park starting at second base today. I had no idea who to peg as the starting second baseman at all this whole spring. Park kind of played there a lot, but then you saw Castillo, Tucker. You saw them all bounce around there. So other than two, three, four in that lineup, Reynolds, um, Hayes, and Susugo, it's kind of still like a mixed bag, especially when uh, Allen and Alfred return. But I would like to see 
Castillo's usage. Obviously, it's not off to a good start, but the guy had such a flashy spring, some fun tools there, showed to grow into some power last year in the minors for the first time in his career. So I would like to see if that can materialize in anything, but obviously the Pirates don't want to see it. Michael Beller and I were, were Team Cole Tucker, or at least we were a couple years ago. So maybe this <laughs> he should is play every day. He should, he, should, yeah. he should get the playing time finally. Yeah. Not sure I'm on the team anymore. <laughs> not sure. <laughs> Taxi squad? Not, yeah. Not so. Yeah, exactly. Not so Not so sure um, about that one. Let's take a look. Let's see. I'm, I'm, I'm scanning our lists here. You know what? Let's go. We, we've hit on the A's. We've hit on the Pirates. Let's go to a team that we think is going to be good. Mike, I'm going to go back to you here. Toronto Blue Jays. This team is going to hit the hell out of the ball. We know that. But what do we look for from a lineup context? There's no lefties, except for Biggio. But I don't really count him because he's batting like ninth. Um, there's no lefties, although there are some reverse splits guys, which I've noticed. Like I know Vlad, although Vlad hits everybody, he actually hits righties better. I think a couple others are like that as well in this lineup. But still, no lefties is weird, so I thought they would maybe go sign someone. Conforto makes a lot of sense, but I don't know Conforto's vaccination, vaccination status. Vaccination, I can't talk. Oh boy, even slowing it down. Vaccination <laughs> status. There we go. We got it. Tongue yes. twister. Woo! That's um, and that's his business. I don't honestly. I this is fantasy. I don't get involved in that stuff honestly. But that could be a holdup here, obviously, because he can't play there if he's not vaccinated. So um, that, that it, the fit makes too much sense. But anyway, getting back on the tra- on the track here with this lineup, it's the DH spot. How are they going to utilize it? That's my biggest question. Um, I think they're going to use it as a way to keep everyone healthy because you have. Teoscar Hernandez coming off a wrist, a little minor wrist thing this spring. He played through at the end, no problem. Springer with his chronic illnesses, I should call them, lack of, or, and lack of health overall lately. Um, I think it's just going to be a lot of that. I know Kirk makes a lot of sense there, but backup catching slash DHing a couple times a week. Mm-hmm. That's not He's not going to need much more to be relevant in, in, in leagues as a catcher, but it's unfortunate because that bat would play better if it had more full-time run behind it. So the DH spot, I just really want to see how that is utilized this this season. And maybe that's a way to get Rymel Tapia in there at least a little bit. And I'm very invested in finding some kind of rationale for the Blue Jays <laughs> to use him since I drafted Tapia when he was still a Rocky. Uh, so that that's probably the, the, the best way, uh, either him as a DH or more likely maybe moving uh, one of the outfielders into the DH slot uh, to get uh, Tapia in there, get, get, get another lefty bat into that lineup. You, that's exactly how fourth outfield type, which again we keep we talked about uh, Springer's issues, and then the lefty bat. It's an underappreciated part of what could factor in him getting in the lineup more. Maybe not regularly, but at least more because there is no lefty. But again, what are they going to do? Have back to back lefties at the bottom of the order? Like that's where it's like, where are they going to bat him? Maybe, maybe seventh, like just to just to give him lefty righty lefty at the end. But that's the thing. It's like his bat, like the lefty bat is a in his favor, but at the same time, is it really when it comes to this lineup? Yeah, it's uh, it's a good question and a fair question, to be sure. Al, I want to move us over uh, to the Kansas City Royals, a team that we're going to see a couple of hours uh, from now, at least from the moment of me saying this very sentence here. Uh, no surprises at the top of their opening day lineup. Whit Merrifield, Bobby Witt Jr., Andrew Benintendi, Salvador Perez. Two guys, however, that we, uh, we do think about with this team when it comes to playing time. Edward Olivares, Kyle Isbell, neither of which are in the opening day lineup. I mean, how much do we want to see from them to think of them as, you know, fantasy relevant contributors? I would certainly like to see what happens in the the next week or so with both Isbell and Olivares. And I can understand uh, maybe not even paying attention to Olivares because we 
we got tricked so many times last year into thinking, okay, here's the latest call up. Uh, they're they're going to find a role for him, and it just never happened. But you know, Isbell played played well when he was brought back up late in the season. Uh, I, I don't know that you know somebody like Hunter Dozier is necessarily a, a major obstacle here. So I think it'll be interesting to see what kind of start Dozier gets off to. I'm not really sure who else we'd be looking at here. Uh, I suppose Michael Taylor. You know, for the defense is not necessarily somebody who would move, but uh, yeah, I'd certainly, and I don't think I'm alone here. Would like to see both of those players get at least some semi-regular mm-hmm. playing time. Yeah. And then you have the uh, prospects on the brink, right? You have Melendez, you have a uh, Pe- Pascatino. I can't say that. Pe- Pascatino, I think I, mm-hmm. I'm terrible with names. I apologize. And then um, obviously there's one more. I can't think of his name. The first base Prado. Uh, so you have those guys also fighting for a chance to come up. All of them, especially Melendez, prove, proves to at least be somewhat ready. So now, does Dozier struggle? Do they fill within or do they go to the minors? So it's like, even even with a potential clear path, it's not completely clear. So it's like, I agree that those guys would be fun, especially all of ours after the strong spring. I just don't know other than, especially because of those guys on the brink, especially if Dozier, they're going to give him at least two weeks of run. That might be long enough to where these guys get that extra year. Now they're ready to knock on the door. And uh, <laughs> the Royals, it's like it's it's one of the more set lineups. But mm-hmm. at the same time, how how long can Santana hold on the first base? I know, I know they're paying Dozier and Santana, and mm-hmm. that could matter for a team like this. But how long can they really hold back all these other guys that we've talked about now? Four, four or five other names that potentially should be in this on this lineup or in this roster somehow somewhere. Yeah, I mean it's it's. It's it's that's what that's what makes so much of this so much fun is that we can like uh, we're gonna learn a lot over these first few weeks at least in terms of playing time lineup deployment all sorts of things like that. Um, Mike, let's talk about a team that that is already in action now as we are talking here. The Milwaukee Brewers ready to hit on their opponent today. Uh, the Cubs, the Brewers. Uh, actually, guys, I saw while we were recording, uh, first pitch of the season was a Colton Wong pop out, very first pitch of the season. So. Uh, how about that? That's how we got the 2022 Major League Baseball season off to a start with Colton Wong leading off. What are we looking for in Milwaukee, Mike? Well, Colton Wong was in my My Guys article, so I was, I was hoping he was to pop one over the fence, but pop <laughs> out, whatever. I'll take it. Um, I think we're getting a good idea. I know we, I'm know i a little surprised McCutcheon's already DHing against a righty in the middle of the order when I assumed this team was going to be pretty platoon heavy and maybe platoon McCutcheon a little more than just straight up, hey, here's the job. But it looks like it's his job to run with in terms of mostly every day because they're going to utilize the DH here in Milwaukee pretty liberally, I would think, you know, between getting Yellow days off, Kane days off, maybe keeping their bats in the lineup. So McCutcheon batting fourth was kind of like a pleasant surprise. I have no – I don't want no teams go figure. But um, I am curious because I, I know Urias is due back, but I think in, in the meantime, Jace Peterson will platoon on the strong side with Brassau – or Brassau, excuse me, platooning on the weak side there. Um, other than that, it's kind of like, how can we get Tyrone Taylor in there, please? Um, <laughs> Keston Hira had a strong spring. Are you listening, spring. Craig Council? Yeah, Keston Hira had a strong <laughs> spring, but he showed some strikeout issues again in the spring. So, again, what type of strikeouts? Were they swing and miss or were they passivity? And there's a little bit of like, uh, we got to see how. Like, I've, I've never gone back to look. Maybe DVR might have watched more of the spring training. And I, uh, I don't know. No, you're a Cubs fan. You probably didn't watch as much of the Brewers. But I'm curious. I am. Because what if Hira's strikeouts were more of the called th- called strikes? type of strikeouts, not the hey, swing and miss strikes. So there is a difference in terms of what causes strikeouts in spring. You never know right. unless you watch the tape. Right, um, but right. yeah, it's it's a matter of uh, just, again, watching how like how they factor in these other players and then Louis Sirius when he's healthy, all that good stuff. Yeah, that's, no, you know, those bench players that are 
are going to be the ones to watch to see if they can uh, get a, a larger role. I think here is really key key here. Uh, Victor Caratini, that was a very interesting pickup uh, yeah, late uh, just before. Uh, and, you know, could that, that just looks like a straight platoon situation to catcher, but Caratini has played some first base, and so that could be really a wide-open situation there at first. Could be. I feel like most of his first base was somewhat necessity-driven, both in, yeah. in Chicago and San Diego. Yeah, per- perhaps, but that you know, that's just it's it's a thing he's got in his tool bag right, that right. would allow him to get into he the lineup a little bit. Quite more. literally, has a first base glove quite literally in his bag. There you go. That's <laughs> all. That's all he really needs. There you go. And Absolutely. Uh, you know, who else is a first baseman's mitt in his bag? It's Pete Alonso, and he's going to be in there every single day for the New York Mets. But Al, what else are we looking for out of these out of these Mets? Uh, it's the usual. Uh, <laughs> Dominic Smith, J.D. Davis. Uh, are they going to be able to to stick as regulars? Uh, Robinson Cano probably has something to do with that. So uh, you've got a little bit of a log jam with those three players, and uh, I think that. Um, you know, it's a situation that if somebody doesn't step up, it's it's going to be damaging to the, the fantasy value of all three. So certainly interested to see if anybody can emerge out of that group. Yeah, I'm not sure what to expect. I know uh, Dom Smith has been pretty vocal about wanting to be an everyday player. I don't mm. think they're as behind that as he wants them to be. <laughs> but he should at least play every day against righties, right? I mean, Cano shouldn't be in his way, but will he? They're paying him all that money still, I believe. So, I mean, could that factor? I don't know. This team cares about money. Obviously, there's a tax bracket just for them, and they don't care. Um, but Nimmo, how long is he? Is he going to be out? How long is he going to be out? Yeah. Um, McNeil let off the final two games of that of the preseason, of the spring training, I should call it, I should say. Does that matter? Is that Was that reps? Was that a fore, foretelling situation? Is McNeil going to get a chance to run with some leadoff at-bats? If he runs with it and does well, does he stick? That's a lot. There's some stuff there to you know pay attention to. I mean, other than that though, but I think you like I think you hit it on the again hit the nail on the head. Al. You're good at this. It's almost like you do this for a living, Al. It's weird, but uh, it's weird. I know, but yeah, I think that's pretty much it. I just wanted to bring up the whole McNeil factor possibly yeah. leading off, and who knows how long of a run that is? Because you know, next can linger with hitters, sure. especially because you need that to hit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, and, so, and lead off the leadoff spot on this team could be very interesting. When you can like when you're talking about hitting in front of Starling Marte, Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, some combination of you know Cano, Escobar, J.D. Davis, Dom Smith, like there's there's a lot of guys yeah. who can drive you in if you can exactly. get on base consistently for the match as a leadoff man. Yeah, that's exactly why I thought McNeil's worth at least monitoring, see how they plug and play him early on. Again, again, assuming Nemo misses some time, but that's I don't know. I haven't seen him placed on the IL or anything. I haven't seen a real update of him today, so unless I'm missing something. Please mm-hmm. let me know. But if not, I mean, as of right now, it's kind of like a Nimmo watch. Like, will he start? Will he not? And uh, even if he does, I don't know if I'm. Want, I don't know if I'm going to start him in leagues where I would have to, like maybe NFPC, like deeper formats. If I can avoid it, just in case there's a setback and then he misses the other two games this series. One of those things. I want to see him healthy first. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, uh, we're just about wrapping up here. Let's get in a last word, Mike. You start us off here. Anything else that we haven't already touched on that you're going to be watching for from a lineup context position this weekend? Oh man, um, <laughs> uh, the Dodgers. Okay, the Dodgers intrigue me. I want to see Lux's usage versus Rios. I know Lux seems to be in the driver's seat there. I just think Rios is more deserving coming out of the strong spring, and we saw Rios have you know some success at the major league level, albeit I believe it was the shortened 2020 season prior to being injured in 2021, trying to play through it and struggling. So Rios, because my theory was Rios could play third base. They can move Muncie, where they've been playing him at third base all spring, over to second, 
DH Turner and then move Taylor to the outfield. Lux suddenly doesn't have a spot. So I'm th- I just want to see how they utilize that. Do they mix and match, uh, match Lux and Rios? Does Lux just get early run to see what they got in them? I, I'm not a Lux guy. I do know Nando is, and I, I'm like, sorry, Nando. I'm just not, that's not for me. But um, <laughs> I, I gotta, you know, I gotta stick to my guns on that one. So it's just more or less how are the Dodgers gonna utilize Lux and how long of a leash do they give them if they do let them start from day one? All right, Al. How about you? A last word. Anything that's on your mind as we get uh, ready for opening day and opening weekend? Well, I feel like I should circle back because you did tee me up to talk about the Astros and then I I forgot to talk about them. So I I think there's a couple of interesting things there in terms of where Kyle Tucker is going to bat because that was variable uh, during spring training. And that that center field situation still looks like it's up for grabs. Jose Siri played a lot down uh, the the last week or so. And uh, I know I was looking more at Chaz McCormick in, in deep drafts than, than Jose Siri, but He's, he's an interesting power source for waivers uh, if he does wind up playing a lot in the first few games. So I'll definitely be watching that situation. Hey, ending with the uh, Astros and Dodgers. <laughs> a lot of baseball seasons uh, could end that way. This baseball season <laughs> could certainly be one that ends with the Astros and Dodgers. Mike Kerland, uh, obviously follow him along at the uh, Athletic all season long. You can also follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore Kurland, K-U-R-L-A-N-D. Mike, thanks so much for being with us on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. No, it's uh, it's truly a pleasure. Thank you, guys. This is one of those bucket list pods that I wanted to get on, so thank you for letting me get on and be a part of it. Hey, man, we are uh, we are happy to have you on. Anywhere else that people can find you this baseball season? Honestly, if you just find me on Twitter, I'm always tweeting something, <laughs> doing something. I'm always like, <laughs> I, I, um, I guess I'll bases loaded podcast is one I've I, I've been a part of. I started a long time ago, co-host of mine, uh, George Montanez too. So that's the podcast. But other than that, really, just I, on Twitter, like you mentioned, is probably the best way to get a hold of me and see what I have going on. And right. use Mike's lineup tool. It yes. is awesome. Absolutely, use that to your extreme fantasy baseball advantage. That's going to do it for this opening day edition of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Thanks to all of you out there for joining us. For Mike and Al, I am Michael Beller. Thanks for listening. We'll be talking to you soon. Alan DVR back at you tomorrow with a waiver wire episode. So get ready for that and have a great opening weekend. 